Book Sixteen, Part One of the Iliad of Homer, rendered into English blank verse by Edward Earl of Derby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Your reader, Michael Armenta. Argument, the sixth battle, the acts and death of Patroclus. Patroclus, in pursuance of the request of Nestor in the eleventh book, entreats Achilles to suffer him to go to the assistance of the Greeks with Achilles's troops and armor. He agrees to it, but at the same time charges him to content himself with rescuing the fleet without farther pursuit of the enemy. The armor horses soldiers and officers of achilles are described achilles offers a libation for the success of his friend after which patroclus leads the myrmidons to battle the trojans at the sight of patroclus in achilles's armor taking him for that hero are cast into the utmost consternation he beats them off from the vessels Hector himself flies, Sarpedon is killed, though Jupiter was averse to his fate. Several other particulars of the battle are described, in the heat of which Patroclus, neglecting the orders of Achilles, pursues the foe to the walls of Troy, where Apollo repulses and disarms him, Euphorbus wounds him, and Hector kills him which concludes the book thus round the well-manned ship they waged the war meanwhile by peleus's son patroclus stood weeping hot tears as some dark-watered fount pours o'er a craggy rock its gloomy stream achilles swift of foot with pity saw, and to his friend these winged words addressed. Why weeps Patroclus, like an infant girl that prays her mother, by whose side she runs, to take her up, and clinging to her gown impedes her way, and still with tearful eyes looks in her face, until she take her up, even as that girl, Patroclus, such art thou, shedding soft tears, hast thou some tidings brought, touching the general weal, or me alone, or have some evil news from Thya come, known but to thee? Menetius, actor's son, yet surely lives, and mid his myrmidons lives aged Peleus, son of Iesus their deaths indeed might well demand our tears or weepst thou for the greeks who round their ships by death their former insolence repay speak out that i may know thy cause of grief to whom with bitter groans patroclus thus o son of peleus noblest of the Greeks, Achilles, be not wroth. Such weight of woe the Grecian camp oppresses. 
in their ships they who were late their bravest and their best sore wounded all by spear or arrow lie the valiant son of tydeus diomed pierced by a shaft ulysses by a spear and agamemnon's self eurypolis by a sharp arrow through the thigh transfixed for these the large resources of their art the leeches ply and on their wounds attend while thou achilles still remain'st unmoved oh be it never mine to nurse such hate as thou retain'st inflexibly severe who e'er may hope in future days by thee to profit if thou now forbear to save the greeks from shame and loss unfeeling man sure peleus horseman brave was ne'er thy sire nor thetis bore thee from the cold gray sea and craggy rocks thou hadst thy birth so hard and stubborn is thy soul but if the fear of evil prophesied thyself restrain or message by thy goddess mother brought from jove yet send me forth with all thy force of myrmidons to be the saving light of greece and let me to the battle bear thy glittering arms if so the men of troy scared by thy likeness may forsake the field and breathing time afford the sons of greece toil-worn for little pause has yet been theirs fresh and unwearied we may drive with ease to their own city from our ships and tents the trojans worn and battle-wearied men thus prayed he all unwisely for the prayer he uttered to himself was fraught with death to whom much grieved achilles swift of foot heaven-born patroclus oh what words are these of prophecy i reck not though i know nor message hath my mother brought from jove but it afflicts my soul when one i see that basely robs his equal of his prize his lawful prize by highest valour won such grief is mine such wrong have i sustained her whom the sons of greece on me bestowed prize of my spear the well-walled city stormed the mighty agamemnon Atreus' son hath borne by force away, as from the hands of some dishonoured, houseless vagabond. But let the past be past. I never meant my wrath should have no end, yet had not thought my anger to abate, till my own ships should hear the war-cry and the battle bear. But go and in my well-known armour clad lead forth the valiant myrmidons to war since the dark cloud of trojans circles round the ships in force 
and on the shingly beach pent up in narrow limits lie the greeks and all the city hath poured its numbers forth in hope undoubting for they see no more my helm among them flashing else in flight their dead would choke the streams if but to me great agamemnon bore a kindly mind but round the camp the battle now is waged no more the hands of valiant diomed the greeks protecting hurl his fiery spear nor hear i now from his detested lips the shout of agamemnon all around is heard the warrior-slayer hector's voice cheering his trojans with triumphant cries they from the vanquished greeks hold all the plain nathless do thou patroclus in defence fall boldly on lest they with blazing fire our ships destroy and hinder our retreat but hear and ponder well the end of all i have to say and so for me obtain honour and glory in the eyes of greece and that the beauteous maiden to my arms they may restore with costly gifts to boot the ships relieved return forthwith and though the thunderer juno's lord should crown thine arms with triumph be not rash apart from me in combat with the warlike sons of troy so should my name in less repute be held nor in the keen excitement of the fight and slaughter of the trojans lead thy troops on toward the city lest thou find thyself by some one of the immortal gods opposed for the far-darting phoebus loves them well but when in safety thou hast placed the ships delay not to return and leave the rest to battle on the plain for would to jove to pallas and apollo that not one or greek or trojan might escape from death save only thou and i that so we two alone might raise the sacred towers of troy such converse held they while by hostile spears hard pressed no longer ajax might endure at once by jove's high will and trojan foes o'ermastered loud beneath repeated blows clattered around his brow the glittering helm as on the well-wrought crest the weapons fell and his left arm grew faint that long had borne the burthen of his shield yet not availed the press of spears to drive him from his post laboring he drew his breath his every limb with sweat was reeking breathing space was none blow followed blow and ills were heaped 
on ill. Say now, ye nine, who on Olympus dwell, how first the fire assailed the Grecian ships. Hector approached, and on the ashen spear of Ajax, close behind the head, let fall his mighty sword. Right through he clove the wood, and in his hand the son of Telamon, the headless shaft held bootless. Far away, loud ringing, fell to earth the brazen point. Ajax, dismayed, perceived the hand of heaven, and knew that Jove the Thunderer had decreed to thwart his hopes, and victory give to Troy. Slow he retired, and to the vessel they the blazing torch applied. High rose the flame, unquenchable, and wrapped the poop in fire. The son of Peleus saw, and with his palm smote on his thigh, and to Patroclus called, Up, up, nobly-born Patroclus, car-born chief, up, for I see above the ships ascend the hostile fires, and lest they seize the ships and hinder our retreat, do thou in haste thine armour don, while I arouse the troops. He said, his dazzling arms Patroclus donned. First on his legs the well-wrought greaves he fixed, fastened with silver clasps. His ample chest, the breastplate of Achilles, swift of foot, star-spangled, richly wrought, defended well. Around his shoulders slung, his sword he bore, brass-bladed, silver-studded. Next his shield, weighty and strong, and on his firm-set head a helm he wore, well-wrought, with horsehair plume that nodded, fearful, o'er his brow. His hand grasped two stout spears, familiar to his hold. One spear Achilles had, long, ponderous, tough, but this he touched not. None of all the Greeks, none, save Achilles' self, that spear could poise. The far-famed Pelian ash, which to his sire on Pelion's summit felled, to be the bane of mightiest chiefs, the centaur Chiron gave. Then to Automedon he gave command to yoke the horses. Him he honoured most, next to Achilles' self, the trustiest he in battle to await his chief's behest. The flying steeds he harnessed to the car, Sanctus and Balius, fleeter than the winds, whom, gracing the marsh by ocean's stream, Podarge, swift of foot, to Zephyr bore, and by their side the matchless Pedasus, 
who from the capture of Aetian's town Achilles bore away, a mortal horse, but with immortal coursers meet to vie. Meantime, Achilles, through their several tents, summoned to arms the warlike Myrmidons. They all, like ravening wolves of courage high, that on the mountain side have hunted down an antlered stag, and battened on his flesh, their chaps all dyed with blood. In troops they go, with their lean tongues from some black-watered fount, to lap the surface of the dark cool wave, their jaws with blood yet reeking, unsubdued their courage, and their bellies gorged with flesh. So round Pelides' valiant follower thronged the chiefs and rulers of the Myrmidons. Achilles, in the midst, to charioteers and bucklered warriors, issued his commands. Fifty swift ships, Achilles, dear to Jove, led to the coast of Troy, and ranged in each. Fifty brave comrades manned the rowers' seats. O'er these five chiefs, on whom he most relied, he placed, himself the sovereign lord of all. One band Menestheus led, with glancing mail, son of Spercius, heaven-descended stream. Him, Peleus's daughter, Polydora, fair, a mortal in a god's embrace compressed, to stout Spercius bore, but by repute to Boras, Peraeres' son, who her in public and with ample dower espoused. The brave Eudorus led the second band, whom Phylus's daughter, Polymele fair, to Hermes bore. The maid he saw and loved amid the virgins, mingling in the dance of golden-shafted Dian, huntress queen. He to her chamber access found, and gained, by stealth, her bed. A valiant son she bore, Eudorus, swift of foot, in battle strong. But when her infant, by Lucina's aid, was brought to light, and saw the face of day, her to his home, with ample dower enriched, Icecles, son of Actor, bore away. With him the aged Phylus kept, and nursed with tender care, and cherished as his own. The brave Pisander, son of Mimalus, the third commanded, of the Myrmidons, next to Polites' friend, the noblest spear. The fourth, the aged warrior Phoenix led, the fifth Alcimedon, Laerces' son. These in their order due Achilles first arrayed, and next with stirring words addressed. Ye Myrmidons, forget not now the vaunts which, 
while my wrath endured, ye largely poured upon the Trojans, me ye freely blamed. Ill-omen son of Peleus, sure in wrath thou wast conceived, implacable, who here in idleness enforced thy comrades keepst, were better far our homeward way to take if such pernicious rancor fill thy soul thus ye reproached me oft lo now ye have the great occasion which your souls desired then on and with brave hearts the trojans meet his words fresh courage roused in every breast, and more compact beneath their monarch's eye their ranks were formed, as when the builder lays the closely fitting stones to form the wall of some great house, and brave the winds of heaven, so close were fitted helm and bossy shield, buckler on buckler pressed, and helm on helm, and man on man, the horsehair plumes above that nodded fearful from the warriors' brows, each other touched, so closely massed they stood. Before them all stood prominent in arms two chiefs, Patroclus and Automedon, both with one thought possessed to lead the fight in the forefront of all the myrmidons achilles then within his tent withdrew and of a gorgeous coffer raised the lid well wrought by silver-footed thetis placed on board his ship and filled with rich attire with store of wind-proof cloaks and carpets soft there lay a goblet richly chased, whence none but he alone might drink the ready wine. Nor might libations thence to other gods be made, save only Jove. This brought he forth, and first with sulphur purified, and next washed with pure water. Then his hands he washed, and drew the ready wine. Then, standing forth, made in the centre of the court his prayer and as he poured the wine looked up to heaven not unbeheld of jove the lightning's lord great king dodana's lord pelagian jove who dwellst on high and rulest with sovereign sway dodana's wintry heights where dwell around thy cellying priests men of unwashed feet that on the bare ground sleep thou once before hast heard my prayer and me with honour crowned and on the greeks inflicted all thy plagues here yet again and this my boon accord i mid the throng of ships myself remain but with a numerous force of myrmidons i send my comrade in my stead to fight on him 
all-seeing Jove, thy favour pour, strengthen his heart, that Hector's self may learn, if e'en alone my follower knows to fight, or only then resistless power displays, when I myself the toil of battle share, and from our vessels when the foe is driven, grant that with all his arms and comrades true he may in safety to the ships return. Thus prayed he. Jove, the lord of counsel, heard, and half his prayer he granted, half denied, for from the ships the battle to repel he granted, but denied his safe return. His prayers and offerings ended, to the tent Achilles turned again, and in the chest replaced the cup. Then, issuing forth, he stood before the tent, for much he longed to see the Greeks and Trojans join in battle strife. They, who in arms round brave Patroclus stood, their line of battle formed, with courage high, to dash upon the Trojans, and, as wasps, that have their nest beside the public road, which boys delight to vex and irritate in wanton play, but to the general harm, them if some passing traveller unawares disturbed with angry courage forth they rush in one continuous swarm to guard the rest e'en with such courage poured the myrmidons forth from the ships then uproar wild arose and loud patroclus on his comrades called Ye valiant Myrmidons, who boast yourselves Achilles' comrades, quit ye now like men, your ancient valour prove to Peleus' son, of all the Greeks the noblest, so shall we his faithful followers highest honour give, and Agamemnon's haughty self shall mourn the slight on Grecia's bravest warrior cast. His words fresh courage roused in every breast. Thick on the Trojan host their masses fell, while loud the fleet re-echoed to the sound of Grecian cheers. But when the Trojans saw, blazing in arms, Menetius's godlike son, himself and follower, quailed the spirits of all. Their firm-set ranks were shaken, for they deemed Achilles had beside the ships exchanged his wrath for friendship. And each several man looked round to find his own escape from death. Then first Patroclus aimed his glittering spear amid the crowd, where thickest round the ships of brave Protesilaus raged the war, 
and struck Perichmes, who from Amidon, from the wide-flowing stream of Axius, led the horsehair-crested peons. Him he struck through the right shoulder, backwards in the dust groaning he fell. Around him quailed with fear his peons all. Such terror in their ranks Patroclus threw, their bravest leader slain, the foremost in the fight. The crowd he drove far from the ships, and quenched the blazing fire. There lay the half-burnt ship. With shouts confused the Trojans fled, and from amid the ships forth poured the Greeks, and loud the clamour rose. As when around a lofty mountain's top the lightning's lord dispels a mass of cloud, and every crag and every jutting peak is plainly seen, and every forest glade, and the deep vault of heaven is opened wide, so when the Greeks had cleared the ships of fire, they breathed a while. Yet ceased not so the strife, for not in headlong panic from the ships the Trojans by the valiant Greeks were driven. But, though perforce retiring, still made head. Then, of the chiefs, as wider spread the fight, each singled each. Menetius's noble son first threw his pointed spear, and on the thigh struck Ariolochus, in act to turn. Right through the point was driven, the weighty spear shattered the bone, and prone to earth he fell. The warlike Menelaus aimed his spear, where Tossus's breast, unguarded by his shield, was left exposed, and slacked his limbs in death. Phileus's brave son, as rushed Amphiclus on, stood firm with eye observant. Then the attack preventing through his thigh, high up, where lie the strongest muscles, smote. The weapon's point severed the tendons, Darkness closed his eyes. Of Nestor's sons, Antilochus, the first, Atimnius wounded, driving through his flank the brazen spear. Prone on his face he fell. Then, burning to avenge his brother's death, stood Maris o'er the corpse, and hand to hand engaged Antilochus, but ere a blow was struck, the godlike Thrasymedes drove through his right shoulder, with unerring aim, his glittering spear. The point his upper arm tore from the muscles, shattering all the bone. Thundering he fell, and darkness closed his eyes. So to the shades, by those two brethren's hands, Subdued, Sarpedon's comrades brave were sent, the sons of Amisodorus, who reared the dread Chimera.
bane of mortal men. On Cleobulus, wounded in the press, Ajax, Oileus, sprang, and captive took alive, but sudden on his neck let fall his hilted sword, and quenched the fire of life. The hot blood dyed the sword, the darkling shades of death and rigorous fate his eyes o'erspread. Then Peneleus and Lycan, hand to hand, engaged in combat. Both had missed their aim, and bootless hurled their weapons. Then with swords they met. First Lycan on the crested helm dealt a fierce blow, but in his hand the blade up to the hilt was shivered. Then the sword of Peneleus, his neck below the ear, dissevered. Deeply in his throat the blade was plunged, and by the skin alone was stayed. Down drooped his head, his limbs relaxed in death. Meriones, by speed of foot, o'ertook, and, as his car he mounted, a carnice through the right shoulder pierced. Down from the car he fell, the shades of death his eyes o'erspread. Full on the mouth of Arimus was thrust the weapon of Idomeneus, right through the white bones, crashing, past the brazen spear below the brain. His teeth were shattered all, with blood, which with convulsive sobs he blew from mouth and nostril. Both his eyes were filled, and death's dark cloud encompassed him around. Thus slew the Grecian leaders each his man, as ravening wolves that lambs or kids assail, strayed from their dames, by careless shepherds left upon the mountain, scattered. These they see, and tear at once their unresisting prey. So on the Trojans fell the Greeks. In rout disastrous, they, unmanned by terror, fled. Great Ajax, still unwearied, longed to hurl his spear at Hector of the brazen helm. But he, well skilled in war, his shoulders broad, protected by his shield of tough bull's hide, watched for the whizzing shafts and javelins were. Full well he knew the tide of battle turned, yet held his ground, his trusty friends to save. As from Olympus, o'er the clear blue sky, pour the dark clouds, when Jove the vault of heaven o'erspreads with storm and tempest, from the ships so poured with panic cries the flying host, and in disordered rout recrossed the trench. Then Hector's flying coursers bore him safe far from the struggling masses, 
whom the ditch detained perforce there many a royal car with broken pole the unharnessed horses left on shouting to the greeks patroclus pressed the flying trojans they with panic cries dispersed the roads encumbered high uprose the storms of dust as from the tents and ships back to the city stretched the flying steeds and ever where the densest throng appeared with furious threats patroclus urged his course his glowing axle traced by prostrate men hurled from their cars and chariots overthrown flew o'er the deep-sunk trench the immortal steeds the noble prize the gods to peleus gave still onward straining for he longed to reach and hurl his spear at hector him meanwhile his flying steeds in safety bore away as in the autumnal season when the earth with weight of rain is saturate when jove pours down his fiercest storms in wrath to men who in their courts unrighteous judgments pass and justice yields to lawless violence the wrath of heaven despising every stream is brimming o'er the hills in gullies deep are by the torrents seamed which rushing down from the high mountains to the dark blue sea with groans and tumult urge their headlong course wasting the works of man so urged their flight so as they fled the trojan horses groaned the foremost ranks cut off back toward the ships patroclus drove them the foremost ranks cut off back toward the ships patroclus drove them baffling their attempts to gain the city and in middle space between the ships the stream and lofty wall dealt slaughter round him and of many a chief the bitter penalty of death required then pronous with his glittering spear he struck where by the shield his breast was left exposed and slacked his limbs in death thundering he fell next thestor son of enops he assailed his mind by fear disordered from his hands the reins had dropped him thrusting with the spear through the right cheek and through the teeth he smote then dragged him by the weapon o'er the rail as when an angler on a prominent rock drags from the sea to shore with hook and line a weighty fish so him patroclus dragged gaping from off the car and dashed him down upon his face and life forsook his limbs next oreleus eager for the fray on the mid forehead with a mighty stone 
he struck. Beneath the ponderous helmet's weight the skull was split in twain. Prostrate he fell, by life-consuming death encompassed round. Forthwith Amphoterus and Erymus, Epaltes, Echius, and Tipolemus, son of Damastor, Pyrus, Iphius brave, Euippus, Palamelus, Arginus' son, in quick succession to the ground he brought. Sarpedon, his ungirdled forces, saw promiscuous fall before Menetius' son, and to the Lycians called in loud reproof, Shame, Lycians, whither fly ye? Why this haste? I will myself this chief confront, and learn who this may be of bearing proud and high, who on the Trojans' grievous harm hath wrought, and many a warrior's limbs relaxed in death. He said, and from his car accoutred sprang. Patroclus saw, and he too leaped to earth. As on a lofty rock, with angry screams, hook-beaked, with talons curved, two vultures fight, so with loud shouts these two to battle rushed. The son of Saturn, pitying, saw, and thus to Juno spoke, his sister and his wife. Woe, woe! that fate decrees my best-beloved Sarpedon by Patroclus's hand to fall. E'en now conflicting thoughts my soul divide, to bear him from the fatal strife unhurt, and set him down on Lycia's fertile plains, or leave him by Patroclus's hand to fall. Whom answered thus the stag-eyed queen of heaven, what words, dread son of Saturn, dost thou speak? Wouldst thou, a mortal man from death, withdraw, Long since by fate decreed? Do what thou wilt, yet cannot we, the rest, Applaud thine act? This too I say, and turn it in thy mind. If to his home Sarpedon thou restore alive, Bethink ye, will not other gods, their sons too, from the stubborn fight withdraw? For in the field around the walls of Troy are many sons of gods, in all of whom this act of thine will angry feelings rouse. But if thou love him, and thy soul deplore his coming doom, yet in the stubborn fight leave him beneath Patroclus's hand to fall. Then, when his spirit hath fled, the charge assign to death and gentle sleep, that in their arms they bear him safe to Lycia's widespread plains. There shall his brethren and his friends perform his funeral rites, and mound and column raise a fitting tribute to the mighty dead. 
thus she. The sire of gods and men complied. But to the ground some drops of blood let fall, In honour of his son, whom fate decreed, Far from his country, on the fertile plains of Troy, To perish by Patroclus's hand. End of Book 16, Part 1